Entrepreneur on Fire, episode 376. What are you waiting for? Tickets to a rocket ship? Well, here you go and hang on tight as John Lee Dumas is about to take you on a wild ride. Ignite. Squarespace makes it easy for you to create a website using their incredibly fun drag and drop technology. If you're ready to start building your own website, visit squarespace.com and for 10% off, use the offer code FIRENATION. When you call for help, I want to be there. With eVoice, I will be because they transcribe my voicemails and email them to me directly. Click the link on the sponsors tab at eofire.com for a free 30-day trial. Okay, Fire Nation, let's get started. I am simply thrilled to introduce my guest today, Daniel Roberts. Daniel, are you prepared to ignite? I am prepared to ignite, John. Yes. Daniel is the primary author of Zoom, Surprising Ways to Supercharge Your Career, a fortune book that tells the stories of 33 highly successful individuals that have been on our 40 under 40 list. And Daniel, I've given Fire Nation just a little overview, but take a minute. Tell us about you personally. We want to get to know you and then give us an overview of the book. Sure. Well, I am a uh, young journalist. I've been at Fortune for three years. Before that, I went to grad school here in New York City, and I was a uh, city reporter for some of the newspapers here in the city. Kind of been all over in a short time. And uh, here at Fortune, pretty early after I joined, one of my main roles was working on this 40 under 40 list which we do every year. And in fact, this uh, it comes out in the fall, and this year will be the fifth year we've done it. And essentially, we have a whole reporting team, and we scour the uh, business sphere. You know, We look at all different spheres. We look at tech, investing, auto, a lot of different industries, and we come up with a list of the 40 most exciting, influential, you know, high-flying, successful business people under 40. And that's where the book comes from, is from this list. Well, that sounds like a book that I need to read, and Fortune's always been a magazine high on my list, so I just love the quality content they consistently put out. And Daniel, before we do actually get into the meat and potatoes of this interview, let's start with a success quote. We want to get the motivational ball rolling right away, so take it away. Sure. Well, one of the people in the book is Marissa Meyer, certainly a name that's been in the news recently. She was at Google for a long time, and then she became the CEO of Yahoo. And her nugget that we've used throughout the book and really like is she says she's always tried to make decisions that would land her in over her head. She says, get in over your head. That is something that as entrepreneurs, Fire Nation, we always need to be doing. We need to be pushing the envelope, getting in over your head, making mistakes, learning from those mistakes and moving forward. That's what it's all about. And Danny, what we do here at Entrepreneur on Fire is we typically go through the journey of our spotlighted guest, and that's you today. However, you're kind of representing 33 highly successful individuals, so it's going to be a little different today. We're going to tell a few stories and a few stories that you want to choose, and you've really looked at a lot of these 33 highly successful individuals quite closely, and you know a lot of background about them. So let's start with a story about a failure or a challenge or an obstacle that a couple of them have faced. Tell that story and the lessons that were really learned from that. Sure, I'd love to. And in, in fact, you know, in, in this book, uh, we sort of arrange it by career lessons. Cool. Uh, because, you know, the, the career paths of these people are really instructive, really compelling. And one chapter in particular is all about failure. And it's about, you know, embracing it. Um, you know, you could almost say fail well. I mean, there's a way in which you can fail gracefully. 
And so I guess the example that interests me most is uh, there's a tech entrepreneur in the book. His name is Hossein Rahman, R-A-H-M-A-N. Um, really interesting guy. He created this company called Jawbone. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people might not recognize the company name, but some of its products are very uh, known and recognizable. You know, they make a wireless speaker called the Jambox. Um, and one of his products is a wristband, which, you know, are becoming more and more popular. These wristbands that you wear all the time that track various health metrics. You know, Nike has one, and I think there's, you know, you can wear one on your ankle instead. But his company, Jawbone, was working on this uh, wristband called the UP, U-P. And, you know, in the tech world, everyone is watching these things closely. The product wasn't out yet, but it was being written about everywhere. It was very highly anticipated, and everyone knew that it was going to be this band that uh, tracks your health. You know, it doesn't just tell you how many steps you uh, took that day, but it uh, tells you your sleep patterns. It, it works everywhere. It, it, it helps you with your diet. You know, it was like going to be the end-all, be-all. And the product finally came out, and, and a lot of people bought it. A lot of people had pre-ordered it. And within weeks, a number of the customers that had bought one of these bands had complained, uh, written something on Twitter, sent it back to the company because it was malfunctioning. So obviously, John, you know, as a CEO of a, of a new company, I mean, that's like your nightmare. Nightmare. You've got this highly anticipated product that people are all excited for, and now it's out and it's having problems. I mean, it's like what everyone, you know, it's like what keeps you up at night as a business person. So the story goes that he, you know, a, a lot of times when a company has a fiasco like this or a PR crisis, they, they make excuses or they hide it or they, they put the PR team on it and try and spin it. But what this guy, Hossein, did was he sat down, you know, sort of went into his office and closed the door and, and was there for a few days. And he crafted this very honest, long, open email that he sent out uh, publicly. You know, all the, all the tech blogs published it. And it just completely acknowledged the failure. And it said, look, we care so much. We worked so hard on this, but we made a huge mistake. I guess what had happened was the seal wasn't strong enough and people were uh, showering with the bands, which you were supposed to be able to do, and water was getting in and making them malfunction. And, you know, so it seems like an easy mistake, but it's a huge problem. A lot of people had bought this thing. It was like a $110 piece of equipment. So his email completely acknowledged the problems and apologized, and it said, we're going to make this right. And included in this letter, this apology letter, was an offer not just for people whose bands were malfunctioning to send theirs back and get a refund, but for anyone who had bought one, even if their band wasn't having any problems, to send it back in and get their money back. And it was a complete victory. I mean, it was like they had made a mistake, but all of the people in Silicon Valley, all of the various investors and CEOs who knew him and who watched the company, they were very impressed. Um, you know, he, he went out to a big, we write about in the chapter how he went to some big party like two nights after sending that email and everyone applauded and people were congratulating him saying, you'll be fine, you'll weather this storm. So you, you really can, you know, you can bounce back from, from a big failure. Man, I can definitely see just in this time that we live in right now where we see so many people in power and in stations that are just trying to like hide behind others and not step up and really take responsibility for things that have happened. We saw it in the housing crisis. We saw it in the financial crisis. Time and time again, the nation's leaders and the world leaders are letting us down. So when we see a CEO step up or the, you know, the founder of a company step up and just be so prideful about what is created and care so much that he just 
just wants to do the right thing. And you can just tell how painful it is. I can see why that resonated with so many people, Daniel. And I can see why he was applauded. And I can see why he is going to weather the storm because that's the kind of mentality that you need to take. And is there anything further from that, Daniel, where your book talks about the actual great takeaway, the lesson that's really pulled out from that experience? As you said, John, you know, the subtitle of the book is Surprising Ways. So I think it's almost flying against the conventional wisdom, especially now where you have so many like absurdly young entrepreneurs achieving so much at a young age. They're very concerned about uh, any misstep. You know, they're really groomed and they're PR'd up and they're they're careful in interviews and they don't want to say too much. And they're really conscious of their image and of the branding of their company and all of that you know, supports uh, not wanting to have a failure. But Hossein and the other two people in the chapter acknowledge that this helped them, you know, that, that making a mistake on a large scale, they're all the better for it now, you know? So it's, it's sort of um, surprising and it's not what you'd expect. It's almost like, you know what, go ahead, take chances. If you fail, it's okay, you know, because it's all about how do you get back up after that. I love that lesson, Daniel. And that's what Entrepreneur on Fire is all about. It's about examining the journeys of entrepreneurs and seeing their failures and seeing how they have learned from that and move forward and then how they moved into an aha moment after that and, and then what steps they took because of the failures they made in the past that made this one turn into a success. So obviously, we're not going to be able to go through all 33 and you know that's what people need to buy the book for is to really focus on these 33 really great stories of highly successful individuals. But we do have time for a couple more, Daniel. So troll through your memory banks right now and try to figure out a couple more stories you'd like to share with Fire Nation that you know maybe is of a little different angle with a different takeaway and start with the second one. Well, sure. Uh, so another person in, in that chapter and... Um it's a funny example because he, he's really more of a um, he's he's really more of a finance guy. Sure. Although you know you start your own business, you're an entrepreneur. Um, but there's a, a guy in the same chapter, the chapter on failing, and his name is Boaz Weinstein. And what happened with him was he was a sort of um, you know very successful young star at Deutsche Bank, um, you know a trader. And he had made a lot of money and sort of risen quickly at the organization. And then right around the time of the crisis, made a number of um, bad bets, you know, which I don't even want to get too much into all this. It's like we've heard so much about the various um, financial institutions and the, you know, the gambles that they were taking. But essentially, he left Deutsche Bank. And, you know, I don't I don't know how you'd want to phrase it, but he he had to leave Deutsche Bank. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there was a break. There was some downtime. And next thing um, that we knew, he had started his own hedge fund, which is called Saba, S-A-B-A Capital. And, you know, he sort of took all of the lessons he had learned from this uh, misstep at Deutsche Bank and baked it into his hedge fund. And again, you know, I, I sort of when we when we talk about entrepreneurs, I think I think heavily of technology and I think of retail you know, I think of people who've created um, more consumer-facing companies. But again, you know, these, these guys who start hedge funds and are so successful, they're entrepreneurs too. And long story short, his hedge fund, Saba Capital, that he started himself, is like one of the most successful um, money-making hedge funds in the world. I mean, it was like instantly successful. He just took off. And people use him as one of these examples of, you know, it's okay. You have this high-profile failure. All the finance blogs wrote about it. And then you just go back to the drawing board and you, can, you keep your head down and you just do what you do best. I mean, sometimes the best way 
to handle a failure is, it, you know, you don't try to miraculously make some big move and redeem yourself with some, you know, it's not a movie. It's like instead you quietly work away and chip away at what you actually do well, you know, and you uh, put your talents to work and you find that, hey, it's okay and I'm actually better off than I was before. Wow. So Daniel, I mean, really breaking that down, I mean, that's a totally different side of the aspect and it's a totally different industry and a totally different niche. What would you say just boiling it down as one strong takeaway that you can share with Fire Nation of that entire experience that you really pulled from that? What I glean from the people in this chapter, and of course there are others who have you know, had notable failures that aren't in the book, but when you see this happening, it is the stark contrast between how people deal with a failure. And, you know, they're, I, I guess outside of the entrepreneurial world, you see it playing out all the time with, you know, celebrities, whether it's an actor and they're in some kind of scandal, they say something offensive on a show or they tweet something and they get in trouble, or maybe it's a musician and they're caught doing some horrible thing. I mean, these people who are, you know, maybe John, maybe it's a product of fame. Right. Maybe the more famous you are, the more um, anxious and nervous you are. But a lot of these highly famous people who, who show up, you know, in the New York Post or in some, you know, newspapers having made some gaffe, you know, politicians, they don't respond in the way that these young, daring, bold entrepreneurs do. The way these young entrepreneurs do is they just say, look, I'm just going to handle it. Why should I shy away from it? I'm going to own up to it. Everyone knows that I'm the founder. The company is me. We're one in the same. I'm not going to try and release a, um, a press release, you know, where I'm hiding behind a formal, you know, and try and um, dance around it. I'm just going to come out and say, oops, we, we had a mistake. Oops. And it's going to happen. And probably more will happen but we hope that we'll continue to respond well. So, so I mean, the lesson obviously is, um, you know, fail well. And not just that, you know, not just if you have to fail, handle it, but maybe that it can be an okay thing to fail, you know? And so there's really no reason to hold back on, on, any, on any jump, on any risk, on any product creation, all that. You know, a couple of things we hear all the time on Entrepreneur on Fire, Daniel, fail forward, fail fast. And I think those are really valuable things for entrepreneurs to realize it is okay to fail forward. It is okay to fail fast. But something that we really don't hear very often is fail well. And I love those words because there is a well way to fail. You can really do it in a way that is classy, that does take ownership, that does take responsibility and really does have you come out the other side shining instead of really having a black mark or a black stain on you? And, you know, you've already shared the story before about how founder of Jawbone came out the other side from that. And there's just so many great examples throughout the entrepreneurial world where you can see where people that have failed and failed well really works out for them. And, you know, John, I'd add too that, and I'm sure you've noticed this from all the people you've interviewed, but I think that the entrepreneurial world, I mean, that space of startups and people who have created their own companies from scratch uh, tends to be extra forgiving of failure because they all know. I mean, they know that it happens. Exactly. So Marissa Meyer, you quoted her in the intro and she has had quite the illustrious career, Daniel. I mean, she's at Google. She did great things there. Now she moved over to Yahoo, and that's obviously a very high-profile position, and there's a lot of things going along in a lot of different areas. So I think it'd be fair to talk about her for a couple of minutes. I'm kind of curious some things that you pulled out from that story, from that individual in this book, Zoom. Sure. Well, you know, one thing about Meyer, and, and you're right, she's certainly um, you know been all over the news lately, and um, and I wouldn't have thought 
two years ago that we'd be talking about Yahoo right. <laughs> in any context beyond, <laughs> beyond no one uses Yahoo anymore. Right. <laughs> but she's revitalizing the company. Exactly. I mean, she's trying to invest in exciting, you know, hip things. I mean, they bought Tumblr. And, you know, people wonder, oh, can, can Tumblr ever make money because they'd alienate their users if they advertise? I don't think she's worrying about that yet. She's worrying about, you know, let's get Yahoo back on track as a brand. And that's, you know, part of, part of the chapter in which Marissa is the focus in the book, you know, is all about taking risks. And, you know, of course, it's all related. I mean, it, it, you know, we're sort of, it's a nice transition from talking about failure. But uh, it's striking to me how many of the different people, not just in this book, but, but who we talk to and who we put on our 40 under 40 list every year, list Marissa as one of their mentors. Wow. I mean, she seems to have had all this influence on other young male and female entrepreneurs and, and tech people. I mean, she's just someone who is really, really generous, it seems, with her time and with meeting with young entrepreneurs and advising them and encouraging them. And so, you know, she has that line about getting over your head. And, you know, the example for her, from our perspective is, you know, she was at Google. She was its, I think she was like its, uh, its 10th hire ever. I mean, she was very high up there at a young age and it was, I mean, I don't want to say that it's easy to be high up at Google. I'm sure that was a very taxing job, but, but I think it's what you could fairly call a safe position. I mean, she was at Google since the beginning. Google went up, up, up. She was a VP. She was running its, um, product, uh, product management group. You know, she was hiring all these young, um, product managers, and she created a program there for hiring young engineers to, to run things like uh, Google Maps, Google Local. And then when they came to her about the CEO job at Yahoo, she was um, she had just found out she was pregnant, which <laughs> complicates it even further. Right. And again, I mean, it, I guess I'd compare it to, you know, your David Stern, commissioner of the NBA, and it's the basketball league. I mean, there's not, you know, there's nothing else as far. I mean, there's the, it's, it's the basketball league in the world. There are other basketball leagues, but it's the one that here in the States, you know, we care about. And someone comes to you and says, okay, you've been at the NBA a while. Do you want to come run the Canadian basketball development league? <laughs> <laughs> and you're sort of like, well, what? That's not, uh, that's not doing, you know, that the, the Canadian basketball development league, you know, their merchandise hasn't been good. They've been having trouble selling tickets. But wait a minute, it could be a really sexy, fun challenge. But in all fairness, let's be honest, Daniel, it's like you're a coach of an NBA team and now you're asked to go run the Canadian Development League. Right. It's more like that. That's exactly right. And she talks about how the first thing she did was she turned to her support group. You know, she had a, a whole network of different high ranking people in uh, Silicon Valley, you know, in San Francisco who worked at the different tech companies and who she had um, come into contact with in her years at Google. And she sat down with each, each one of them, just, just one-on-one, one-by-one and asked them like, would this be crazy? Am I crazy? Should I do this? And then, you know, then she took her own advice. She just sort of took a leap. You could call it a leap of faith. And uh, people were very skeptical at first. She was, when she took that job, John, she was at the time, not only the youngest, uh, it made her the youngest CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Wow. Later, Mark Zuckerberg, he'd sort of displace her for that title. But at the time, she was the youngest Fortune 500 CEO. And she was also the first uh, to become CEO when pregnant. I mean, it's like <laughs> everything was going crazy at once. And she just, she took the job. And, you know, looking back on it, I guess about a year later, it looks like a pretty smart leap. 
I love that story as well. And I've been fascinated with Marissa and I've really been following her, you know, as she's been just progressing forward with Yahoo. And I've seen a lot of different things that have come into play that I've really enjoyed because it was almost like she did inject that kind of google S into it, which was so needed. And I can so see why Yahoo needed to bring her in to kind of get that shot in the arm. And this is just a few of the 33 that you guys highlight in this book, Zoom. So, I mean, there's still 30 more incredible entrepreneurs that Fire Nation's still not even getting their talons on right now. So, I mean, it's just continuing to whet their appetites. And we're going to do something pretty interesting. So, just kind of play along with me here, Daniel, because this is going to be interesting. It's going to be new. It's going to put you in a unique situation because this is kind of a unique interview. So bear with me because we're going to take a quick minute to thank our sponsor. We here at Entrepreneur on Fire run a lean business. That means we don't spend money on things that aren't absolutely necessary. And we have a small but powerful team, including myself and two others. A while back, we decided to run a 72-hour special for our new community, Podcasters Paradise. During that time, those interested in joining the community could do so at an all-time low membership rate. In my terms and conditions, I included a phone number people could call if they were having trouble. With only two hours left on the sale, I received an email transcript of a voicemail stating that someone was having trouble purchasing the membership on their mobile device. Thanks to eVoice, I was able to attend the issue promptly, enabling this person to purchase their membership in Entrepreneur on Fire to make $197. Looking for a partner who can help man the phones? Evoice is mine. Click the Evoice link on the Sponsors tab at eofire.com for a free 30-day trial. Not really sure what you're looking for on a website? What if you could pick from tons of beautiful designs to start and then customize as you go? Best part? You don't even have to be a web designer or developer. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that helps you do it all. They're constantly improving with new features and designs, including all the style options you need to create a unique website for your business. They have over 20 highly customizable templates for you to choose from, and all of them responsive. That means they'll automatically look great on every device, every time. Squarespace also recently added e-commerce to their platform. So if you want to set up shop and sell things now, you can do so in just a few minutes. So if you're ready to start building your website today, visit squarespace.com and for 10% off, use the offer code FIRENATION. We've now reached my favorite part of the show. We're about to enter the lightning round and this is where I get to provide you with a series of questions and you come back at us Fire Nation style with amazing and mind-blowing answers. Sound like a plan? Sure. So, Daniel, throughout this entire book, Zoom, what is the best advice you can pull and share with Fire Nation from one of these highlighted entrepreneurs? Gosh, you know, one of the most interesting is Kevin Plank. He created Under Armour, the uh, sports apparel company, while he was still in college. And toward the end of our section on Plank, He's talking about entrepreneurship. He essentially describes, he says, you know, somewhere right now, there's someone in a garage who has a great idea and wants to create a business, but is holding back, waiting, and is, you know, hesitant and afraid to do it. And he's saying, now's not the right time. You know, I just, X, Y, Z, I just had a kid or, you know, I just got married or I'm trying to budget. And he said, what we need now, you know, in America more than anything else is encouraging entrepreneurship and small business. And that guy who has the germ of an exciting idea, just go for it, go for it, go for it. You know, 
Love that. I mean, you can, you can only benefit. No, no ill can come. Oh, I love that advice. So, Daniel, in having done this book and reading through it and, you know, pulling out these 33 great entrepreneurs, what's one of the personal habits that you believe attributed to the success of these entrepreneurs? It can be one habit from one entrepreneur that stands out, or it can be a habit that you saw across many of the entrepreneurs. But what is that one thing that all these entrepreneurs seem to have as a habit or just one seem to have as a habit that really stands out? We have a whole chapter on businesses that um, I like to phrase it as filled a gap. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not ideas that, that at first blush seem like world changing, shocking new ideas. Instead, they're ideas for businesses that address a, a need. Uh, just quickly, you know, th- those companies that there's Rent the Runway, which is a uh, rental site for gowns. Um, really, really a convenience for women. You know, it's like you have an occasion, you don't go buy an expensive, fancy dress. Instead, you can rent it. And Airbnb is another company in that same chapter. You know, it's like a way to get around hotels and hostels. You can rent out your space or you can rent a a room at someone's apartment. All of these things came because these entrepreneurs were looking at the general culture and saying not, ooh, let me just start with a blank page and try and come up with some wacky, amazing, never before thought of idea. No, instead, they were looking at the general culture and saying, What's a, what's an inconvenience in my daily life? What's something that seems like it's a process that could be improved? You know, maybe, maybe it's, I don't like lugging my laundry. I live in New York and I don't like having to bring my laundry three blocks down to the nearest laundromat. There's got to be a better way to create an app or a delivery service. Maybe it's something like that. But all of the people in this chapter say that they did just that. They, you know, they didn't just say, let me just think of some random idea. They said, I want to look and create a company that makes people's lives easier. So the, the point is the habit would be they're constantly looking around at the market, not just at what interests them. You know, like I'm a guy who loves to read fiction and I like sports. And, you know, in my, in my life outside of work, that's pretty much all I think about is like books and sports. But these are people who beyond their personal passions were looking at every different industry and every different space. And they were saying, what's something I could bring into the market that would address a need. Daniel, it seems like we're living in this incredible time where truly anything is possible. I mean, we need to be looking for the pain points as entrepreneurs. We need to be saying, what am I complaining about over and over again? And I'll give you a perfect example. For decades, Daniel, I was complaining about taxis. I hated taxis. (laughs) I hated calling up a taxi service and talking to some switchboard operator there who was saying, yep, 35 minutes, and then having no idea if that person was actually coming or if that taxi taxi driver's picking up somebody else and then getting in the taxi and just seeing the tick go up, 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 up and just being so annoyed because they're yapping on their phone the whole time. They don't care. And I hated taxis, but I never thought to do anything about it. And then enter Uber. And now, wow, am I in love? Yeah, I might pay a little bit more for a drive, but I'm pulling up my app. I'm seeing exactly where the Uber cars are all around me. I'm clicking on one. I'm calling him to me. He's confirming that he's on his way. I'm paying right there using my app. He's picking me up in a Lincoln Town car, having conversations with me if I want to, or he's just being quiet if I want. It's a different experience, and it makes my life better, and it makes me happy now when I need to go to the airport, and I'm not dreading getting into a taxi. And that's what Uber did. And that's what you talked about with the potential for the laundry. And that's what these other entrepreneurs have done. They've found pains out there and they have fixed pains. Daniel, we always end Entrepreneur on Fire with the exact same question. I'm pretty curious to see how you're going to answer this question. How old are you right now? 
I just turned 26. So you're a 26-year-old journalist for Fortune, and I really want you to just take this question in, like really take it in, and then answer it as you, Daniel Roberts, how you would react if you were put in this situation with all of this great information and knowledge that you've taken in while writing this book and just interacting with entrepreneurs and just living life in general. Imagine you woke up tomorrow morning, Daniel, in a brand new world, identical to Earth, but you knew no one. You still have all the experience and knowledge you currently have. Your food and shelter is taken care of, but all you have is a laptop and $500. What would you do in the next seven days? You know, I'm tempted to say that I would very quickly try to uh, bang out my novel, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, an, an ever constant work in progress. Oh, yeah. But I think with that kind of time and with that kind of uh, new world, you know, that I'd want to just meet as many people as possible. Just go around and meet them. And, you know, it, it, it sort of does come from all the different people that I've interviewed is, you know, an, an overarching theme is how frequently and how crucially their connections have come into play. And I don't necessarily mean in like a sort of dirty, you know, networking way where we talk about, oh, networking but I mean just their family, their friends, the people they've worked with, the people they've come into contact with even for a moment. It's like it's all about who you've met and those connections. So I just want to try and build up um, you know, a network of people again. I, I'd want to just meet people, talk to them, hear their stories, I think. Absolutely. That is a well-spoken answer, my friends. And Daniel, Fire Nation is well aware that they can find the links to everything that we've talked about in today's episode on the show notes page at eofire.com. They can just go to the search bar, type in Daniel Roberts, type in Zoom. It's going to get them to your show notes page where all this information is right now. So Daniel, give Fire Nation one parting piece of guidance. Share the best way that we can find you in this amazing book, and then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, we, you know, we want as many people to read the book as possible. It has some great insights and some compelling stories. Uh, you can find the book by just going to fortune.com slash Zoom. And that redirects. And uh, I personally am on Twitter. I love Twitter for getting news, for sharing things. Very quick, wonderful, informative tool. So I'm on Twitter at uh, Read Dan Wright, right as in uh, writing. That's my handle, and people can definitely find me there. Thank you, Daniel, for being so generous with your time, your expertise, and experience. Fire Nation salutes you, and we'll catch you on the flip side. All right, John. Thanks. Fire Nation, have you been waiting for the right time to create your podcast? Well, guess what? That time is now. Podcastersparadise.com is the place where you will find a thriving community of podcasters, an ever-growing library of incredible video tutorials for every stage of your podcasting journey, and access to private webinars where today's top podcasters reveal the inside scoops and tactics. All this for one price. What are you waiting for? Go to podcastersparadise.com today to learn more. Fire Nation, don't forget to go to the Sponsors tab at eofire.com. Click on eVoice for your free 30-day trial. Thank you so much for joining us today on Entrepreneur on Fire. Head on over to eofire.com for full recaps of every show, our amazing blog articles and resources, and just plain fun. Your entrepreneurial journey awaits, so prepare to ignite.